Superhero fatigue. Is it real? Let's discuss. I've got Bob Seskin, Freak Base. Let's chat. Everybody, come on, let's get down. down get down <laughs> oh that music i will thank you until the end of time <laughs> oh, sounds, well the, i love the way you guys edited it within your intro it's awesome yeah my, my i had a buddy do that video for me and he sent it over i was like dude that's real i didn't give him any direction just said yeah, do, something, yeah. do something cool whatever you think he's anyway and then he sent that over he goes how's this i'm like perfect yeah, yeah <laughs> just 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 add freak bases name somewhere on the at the bottom there and we're good to go that's all he had to, that's the only thing he had to tweak that's awesome. uh gentlemen what's going on hello 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 Rick, great to be here thanks for being here guys so everybody we've got bob seska from the bob seska show and we've got the king of funk himself freak base hello How everyone we, uh, hey hey how's everybody's weekend oh, and by the way we're recording this April 24th, 2023, which is a Monday morning. I've been camping with my third grader all weekend, so I'm a little sleep-deprived from sleeping on cots <laughs> for a few days. But it's still what we call glamping. We weren't in a tent, so I can't pretend otherwise. We had electricity, but still, it was really rough. How, how are you guys doing? Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, doing great. Doing great. This is uh, I'm not accustomed to speaking this early into a microphone. I usually, because I'm older than 50, <laughs> it takes a few hours to rev up to speed. So if I'm a little slow in the uptake, that's probably why it's uh, yeah, it's pretty early. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys uh, doing this. Uh, I want Frick to say something too, but I'll just point this out real fast. We were all doing our little private message on Twitter last week. And I thought we haven't done a show in a while. Let's the three of us talk and we're bouncing around ideas. And I was kind of surprised when, when, well, first of all, thank you, Bob, for the topic. We'll get to that in a moment. Superhero fatigue. But uh, one of you guys are the ones who proposed this time slot. And I thought, wow. I can, I think I can pull that off, but podcasting at nine, it's nine 30 here in Texas. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. I yeah. hear you. I'm like clearing my throat and like, you know, uh, still yeah. shaking. well, Any, once we get the show done, we can go for the early bird special <laughs> later, you know, because we're old. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, freak isn't old. He's the young, young buck in the group here. Where I'm a little, oh, I'm a little sleep deprived too, because I, and I, this is my first recommendation of the show. Everybody from all different circles could tell me to watch this show. If you're a Ted Lasso fan, I cannot recommend this enough. Watch Shrinking on Apple yeah, TV. I totally so agree. So freaking good. It's, it's a lot of the same creative team as writers, directors, et cetera, from Ted Lasso. It's very, very yeah. Ted Lasso-esque. Uh, Harrison Ford is freaking amazing in it. Oh, um, Jason, so funny. Jason Sudeikis is just, I mean, it's just. So, so we, we almost binged the reason I'm sleep deprived. Literally, we, we, we did the whole season minus one episode last night after I got done yeah. streaming last night. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. We just finished it, uh, two nights ago. We just it, watched it's last, just one last, season, last right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just okay. one season so far. I'm sure they're going to do many, many more sure, hopefully, sure. because it is an extraordinary comedy. It's so smart and so tight. And you know what? I hadn't really taken a hard look at Jason Siegel as an actor but man, that guy's got some acting chops. The whole I, cast. I, I said Sudeikis, didn't I? Siegel, right? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Siegel. Yeah, yeah. I'm astonished at how much range he's got. I mean, as yeah. a comedic actor, he's so good. Yeah, I, so, think of, I think of him in those silly early 2000, you know, like kind of almost rom-comish movies, you know, before yeah. this, you know. And uh, wow, go ahead, Rick. I'm sorry. Yeah. 
No, I was I was just for clarification. I I know the show in terms of I know it exists. I know Harrison Ford's in it, but it's so Sadakis is not in it. Oh, you got that mixed up with, with Ted Lasso. Was that was correct? Was? Yes. Oh, yes. I see. I see. Yes. I connected those. Okay. Yes. So I, those I, yes. Jason Segel, who was you, you? You know who he is. I'm, yeah. You know. Yeah. Yep. Ton of stuff. But at yeah. first, I was like, is Sadakis <laughs> yeah. in that also? Yeah. You know, a, a fun side note on Sadakis, and you guys may already know this. I'm a huge Cheers fan. Um, mm-hmm. Still consider it probably the finest American sitcom of all time, yeah. my opinion. Uh, but he's George Wynn's nephew. Norm. Oh, oh, oh yes, I knew oh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His mother is her. That's her brother. And um, so, and it's weird. I don't know. He, I, when I see them side by side, I'm like, I, I can see it. <laughs> he's got yeah, a little, yeah, he's yeah, got I a little of his Uncle George in him, you know. I can see this that. Is a, yeah. a weird Sudeikis thing that I have in common with Jason Sudeikis. Jason Sudeikis does not have a sense of smell, and neither do I. We neither of us have that ability to smell odors. It's really, uh, yeah, it's weird. And when I read that he didn't have a sense of smell, I was like, hey, some solidarity from the celebrity community. Yeah. Can you taste? Ooh. I can taste just fine. Oh, yeah, in fact, I have pretty. In fact, I can sometimes taste odors. That's a weird thing to say, but oh wow, yeah, occasionally I can. So, uh, but yeah, no, no sense of smell, and it's not something that I necessarily miss because I never had it. So it's not like I'm going around going, oh shucks, I wish I could smell those flowers. It's just not something I experience. So and there- neither does Jason Sudeikis. So. Is there anything for you? I'm fascinated by this. So uh, is there anything at all that's strong enough that you can get the characteristics of? Yeah, some some things with fumes, some things that like like ammonia or something that's got a powerful sure. like it just really affects you. Uh, menthol, things like that. Mm-hmm. You can sense, but um if someone, you know, held a pile of shit in front of me, I would know that it was shit because I was seeing it. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't be able to smell it. it uh, I, you know what? You know what I can smell? I can smell uh cat pee. Uh, you know, because cat pee ah. is and, but that is, I think that has more to do with the fumes coming. I think that has more to do with the ammonia side of things than the than the actual odor. With a litter box downstairs, I can I can I can tell you that <laughs> cat piss awful. is is rancid as fuck. It is. It is. Yeah, <laughs> it it is. is. Oh yeah, we're gonna be cursing on this one. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so, but, but, but I want to do some plugs at the end of our little chat here. But so, but uh, Bob, I see you have Trek Politics podcast coming soon. Can we go ahead and yeah discuss yeah. that for a second? I was doing my Wednesday interview show with Mary Trump a few weeks ago, and we obviously started talking about the amazing new season of Star Trek Picard. Picard season three is maybe the best season of Star Trek that I've ever seen, and I've seen most of the seasons of Star Trek across the all of the series. And uh, so we got to talk about how great Picard was. Well, she hadn't seen it yet, so I was trying to tell her, yeah, you got to start watching it because it's so good. And we said, you know what? We should do this. We should do this as a show. We should start a podcast. So what we discussed was doing a Star Trek podcast from the angle of politics and examining it from a political point of view and sort of deconstructing episodes that uh, had a a political vibe to it and then relate that to things that are going on in in modern politics, things that are torn from the headlines now. So um, we've been talking about it and putting together ideas and a tentative guest list and things like that. So uh, unfortunately with Mary, she's got a lot of connections along those lines. And so uh, that's really good. So I think in June, we're going to launch the show i'm not sure if it's going to be video and audio we're at least going to start with an audio show 
and then roll out video shortly after that. But yeah, it's crazy. I'm doing a show with Donald Trump's niece. Well, uh, that, I was about to ask for clarification, for just in case people were listening. It's like Trump, yes, that Trump, that Trump, yes, <laughs> and, yes. And, and uh, not to get into politics on Friends from Work, because I promised Brian and Courtney I would never do that. Although sometimes it'll creep in. Um, but uh, how can I phrase this without getting too political? She is not a former president. Donald Trump is not a big fan of his niece mary fair to say no yeah 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 she yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're i think e they're suing each other i want to say at this point uh, uh no mary's not a fan of her uncle for sure for numerous uh, reasons she's written books about that and and yeah so she's she's on the side of the normals i would say we've all had an asshole uncle i've had uh <laughs> yes, but there is no greater no, asshole no, uncle no. than Donald Trump. <laughs> Sorry. Zippy de doo. Uh, uh, that's really you can funny. you can trim this out, right? This is oh, oh no. it is live. <laughs> no. Oh, uh, no, 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 no. It's this is this is fun. Um, all right, so let's get to the topic, <laughs> gentlemen. So you know, I thought I'd start to show off. Forgive me, freak, if I because I, I look through the our Twitter private feed, but sometimes we we message, you gotta scroll to find the what you're looking for. Uh Bob, this was your idea, this topic, correct? Yes, yes. Superhero, but superhero. it is something that, yeah, it's something that people have been talking about. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And no, when you send it over, I thought, ooh, that's good. And then, and then Freak, you had said your friend or, or so-and-so had uh, thought that would be a good topic as well. And I agreed. And that's why I'm, I'm glad that we're having this discussion because um, it is, I, I, you know, doing a little research for the show, I was watching... I don't want to call them trends because that sounds like someone that really did their homework. I didn't go that deep with it, but I, I did obviously just notice some, some, some peaks and valleys, some ups and downs. And the truth of the matter is there has been a dip overall in this genre of films as uh, comic book movies over the last three to five years. Fair to say. Yeah, it's about right. Correct. Look, we can peel back this onion and go really down a rabbit hole about where this started. Was it something to do maybe with some of the Snyder films backlash that had this ongoing effect? But then there's the Marvel part that's also happening. So obviously the Snyder thing would have nothing to do with that. So as opposed to trying to dissect that, what I thought we would, I would just start the conversation with. I'll start with you, Freak. There is obviously, like I said, there's, there's a drop in some box office from here and there. But in your opinion... Is there truly a fatigue or is does this just have more to do with the quality or lack thereof of, uh, of, of the films that have come out of the last three to five years? Yeah, I mean, I would say definitely that was going to be my whole, you know, thesis of this whole entire show. I think it's definitely the latter. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, quality, you know, quality and star power and all that. Kind of, I mean, you know, jumping over to Marvel quickly, I think. Uh, I mean, I love the whole new phase that Marvel's in right now, too, as well. But I'm. The reality is there's no Robert Downey Jr. in that and uh, there's no star. They don't have. That's why I'm kind of hoping that that the rumors of Adam Driver actually being uh, Reed Richards. I'm, I don't know if you guys have seen that or not in the new Fantastic Four. I hope there's some truth to that because I think they need a star that can bounce between movies to like they had with in phase one and two and three with with uh with downey jr so i think in terms of the marvel side i think it's that and and again i think it all goes back to quality because i know joe what joker's probably now what three or four years old but i mean that movie made and that was on that list you sent over to us that movie still made over a billion dollars too as well 
And uh, that was during this kind of period that we're kind of talking about right now. And uh, because it was a freaking incredible freaking movie with an incredible freaking actor, you know, and uh, sure. And I think the uh, if anything, the fatigue comes from just uh, oversaturation more than anything else. I think that's where it is. And the oversaturation leads to less than higher quality things, you know, and, and you know, that's kind of why I look at it overall. Do you, do you think that Disney Plus is has anything to do with this? In other words, the, the, the Marvel shows or even to kind of dip our toe in Lucasfilm, the Star Wars stuff also. Is that having a negative effect on on the response that audience are giving these films in terms of box office or yeah, I think, that, I think that's a little bit. And, and, but you know, with the Mar with the, with the Disney plus shows, I mean, you know, I thought, uh, WandaVision still, I think it was genius. I thought Loki was, mm -hmm. was verging on genius too, as well. Um, even Falcon and Winter, Winter Soldier, those first th two or three out of the gate were just, I thought incredible. Now the last few, uh, She-Hulk and, you know, uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of that. And I think that felt definitely like a quality control thing, just if nothing else, because of the CGI being so scatterbrains, one, mm -hmm. show, one show, it looked great. Yeah. It's one show. It looked like it was Shrek, you know? So, um, and, uh, and again, that goes to, you know, I'm sure. And again, the, the pandemic plays into all this too, I'm sure too, as well. with the oversaturation with everything, but, um, you know, um, Marvel's, I don't know. I think the fatigue, you know, I, I know we're not going to sit here and I don't want to get into a DC versus Marvel conversation because that could be, that's all it's on its own show. But, you know, in terms of the oversaturation and the quality control, I definitely seem to generally feel it more in the Marvel area just because they put so much more stuff out in the last few years, you know? Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? Well, Bob, I'll pass it to you. Um, what do you What do you think? Yeah, I, you know, I've had a concern, and um, again, I'm not necessarily singling out Marvel. I'm just using maybe Marvel as an example of what Freak was talking about, which is my concern comes from both the saturation of these things, the 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 vast number of uh, shows and movies that are coming out, on top of the fact that. Um, <laughs> the storytelling or I, I put it this way the storytelling is kind of all over the place the the um multiverse aspect of the marvel universe i think is not confusing to those of us who are ensconced in this stuff all the time we can follow along with this but i think general audiences may get lost uh because of how all over the place it is if you compare the current Marvel phase to the first, uh, the first phase, the original Avengers, starting with Iron Man and so on, it was relatively easy to follow along. It was a smaller group of characters. Um, we understood who these characters were. They carried that phase on through, and it wasn't very confusing. You could kind mm -hmm. of as a general audience member, as someone who would just like going to these movies and who doesn't necessarily ensconce themselves in the mythology, um, you could follow along with that a lot better. With the multiverse, you've got multiple characters from multiple periods of time interacting, and it gets very confusing. Timeline stuff, time travel stuff, multiverse stuff is always confusing just by nature. And that, for those of us who love it, that's what makes it fun to an extent because you don't know what's going to happen next. There's a, there's a, a suspenseful quality to it. Like, what are they going to do? How are they going to top that? 
and so uh, the fact that it is so scattered, I think, is losing some audience and maybe some critics as well, because I think critics also tend to reflect what general audiences uh, are thinking because, you know, they're seeing not only comic book movies on a regular basis, but they're also seeing other kinds of movies. So they're fitting the comic book movie genre into the general, you know, theatrical run of other, of other uh, films. And so I think the superhero fatigue comes from storytelling, both good and bad. Mm -hmm. where it's good interesting stuff to see a multiverse and see what can be done with timelines where on the bad side that can tend to get confusing for audiences like like if you've got plus if you've got multiple uh franchises you've got dc happening at the same time a lot of audiences go what is this? Is this Marvel? Is this DC? I don't understand where this is taking place. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. And I talk about this with Star Wars also watching this last uh, season of Mandalorian, especially. It's like, man, if you don't know the animated stuff, you don't know some of the EU, if you don't know Rebels, there's so many. These aren't just subtle references. These are things on the nose that are pertinent to the storyline of a specific episode. Maybe not everything, but quite a bit of stuff. Characters, what, what have you. Uh, the 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 balancing the trick I always say in these situations, at least just from my layman perspective, is that you have to please the core audience, but you also we have to, they have to remember that I don't know I'm going to pull this out of my ass, but let's say 75 percent of the people that go see these movies aren't those hardcore fans that are obsessed with the stuff that follow it like the three of us do right. that yeah. that live on social media about it. They don't know they don't care. They just want a fun time escapism at the movie, and if they're watching it and they're like. Who are these people? I just I, I saw part two. This is part three, and I'm lost because it's tying into a multiverse or this film over here or the Avengers or, or or Suicide Squad or whatever it may be. And if you lose that audience to try to overly please the core audience, then I think that's obviously counterproductive. But to not utilize that lore and bring it in and, and incorporate things is also doing everything a disservice. Like I don't envy them, and they and now they they they're kind of stuck with it. You know, I'm going to read a quote from from James Gunn, and I want to pass this back over to you, Freak. He, this was just recently in Rolling Stone, and I, uh, and by the way, with him, Marvel specifically, he feels like the blip thing <laughs> has also caused some problems in terms of how to write some of these characters and where to put them and and and, and whatever. That's an interesting perspective. But this this quote was, uh, was, was cool. He said, I, uh, I think there is such thing as superhero fatigue, he tells Rolling Stone. I think it doesn't have anything to do with, with superheroes. It has to do with the kind of stories that get to be told. And if we lose your eye on the ball, which is character. We love Superman. We love Batman. We love Iron Man because they're incredible. These incredible characters that we have in our hearts. And if it becomes just a bunch of nonsense on screen, it can get really, really boring. Mm -hmm. And I think what he's saying there in essence is kind of like what you said, Freak, that it's not about superhero fatigue. It's about studios sort of mass producing and not putting the TLC maybe behind some of these projects as they could. And, and, and now we're, we're getting quantity over quality. Do you see it that way as well? Do you agree with that? I, I do. And, um, but I wonder, you know, with, Ke especially with Kevin Feige, we all know that, you know, Kevin Feige's always thinking you probably 10 years ahead of the way we're thinking right now with everything. And, uh, 
all this, you know, these multiple characters and all this and the way it's all coming together. I mean, we're going to find out in a few years when uh, Secret Wars uh, happens, Adventures of Secret Wars, if it all kind of all ties together and all makes sense. But, um, you know, I, I still have the I still have I'm not ready to throw the talent on someone like like a Kevin Feige and Marvel. Like I have a feeling there's they're still going to somehow blend all these these multiple yeah. characters from multiple areas yeah it's a little confusing right now but i still put my money on i, I bet a thousand dollars right now than infinity war maybe a two billion dollar not infinity war excuse me secret wars maybe a, almost a two billion dollar movie when it finally drops especially especially with can you know with the kang dynasty obviously that has to do with a lot of other events which we'll get in you know with 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 what happens with Jonathan Majors and all that kind of stuff. But, but like in terms of if everything, yeah, that's a whole different subject, mm -hmm. but it, but if everything goes semi smoothly there and they are able to bridge that, I mean, that could be, you know, bringing probably Hugh Jackman being back in, in, in secret wars and, and, you know, there's rumors of Toby McGuire, you know, doing some of the Spider-Man stuff, just like that could just be like freaking huge, you know? Well, and I'm glad, I'm glad you actually referenced Toby McGuire because it, it made me think of something too. In terms of the the narrative of, of, the, of fatigue, and obviously there's some there's some true uh, metrics that we can look at that can reinforce one one way or another your your opinion on it. But is it sometimes unfair also to compare um, some of these films or franchises, what have you, to these juggernaut box office, uh, you know, lightning in a bottle anomalies? Like for instance, Spider Man, uh, No Way Home. What that, that crossed two billion, did it not? Or it came really close. Yeah, point. I think I think no. it was close. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is called a two billion dollar juggernaut. So we're yeah. gonna compare everything to that. You know, Star Wars or, or the sequel trilogy really has to live up to the Force Awakens doing two billion dollars. Like, you know what I'm saying? I feel like that sometimes we can put these impossible right. Uh, for you, sure. know, you, you you do a film that's you know, and I'll take Star Wars for instance. You know, the Rise of Skywalker, despite personal opinions of it, is just a shy of one point one billion dollars. It was considered a failure by a lot of people. I'm like, right, really? Right. Is that yeah. where we're at now? Like <laughs> a billion dollar film is a failure because it didn't do two billion like one of its predecessors. So um do you think that uh Bob, do you do you think that has anything to do with it in terms of are we putting some kind of impossible standards on some of these franchises, you know, and or films? What do you think? It's a really good question, Rick, because I was just thinking about that from the perspective of the general Hollywood community view of comic book movies. And they are controversial to an extent mm -hmm. insofar as I think that town has a love-hate relationship with these movies. They're keeping theatrical runs alive, basically. Right. And I think there's resentment about that. Like, okay, now this comic book movie genre has taken over movie theaters. What are we going to do about that? Or should we do anything about that? And I think the expectation has to be, well, if you're going to do this, make sure you do it big. You know, if you're going to take over every multiplex in the country for basically year round at this point, um, you, got, you better make sure you bring in a lot of money into the industry. And when you don't, and, and at the same time, you're sucking the air out of uh, what gets run theatrically. Um, that expectation diminishes or the, the, uh, the, the leeway that's given to comic book movies insofar as there is any leeway uh, gets ruined because 
you know, you got to deliver. If you're going to, if you're going to dominate the theater space, you better deliver the money sure. or else you're useless. Right. <laughs> you're and, right. And you're, and you're absolutely. And you're right. They are taking over because let's face it. Let's take a, an art house film or just sort of a straightforward drama that we don't seem to get theatrically much in the post in the, when I say post COVID, you guys know what I mean by that. I mean, post 2020, yeah. let's just call that we're not post COVID, but, um, but anyway is um, so if of all the theaters, for instance, the Cinemarks, the AMC's, et cetera, are focusing on, you know, every screen being a, an IMAX, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like it's all geared towards the, that, the technology that, that they're putting into these theaters isn't geared towards the next Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross or American beauty you right, know, or, right, or mystic right. river or, you know, you know, a, a Spike Lee joint or whatever. It's for, you know, big sci-fi and, and, and comic book stuff. That's what it's for. And thank God we have all this streaming stuff with uh, Apple and Hulu and things and Netflix that we can create great drama content and put, you know, F list or Z list actors like me, maybe to work. But, um, but yeah, they, that they are. And, you know, they talk about, you know, you, you hear people talk about Tom Cruise and how he held on to Top Gun and waited for the theatrical release. And Steven Spielberg even is on camera telling him, hey, you know, you saved Hollywood. There may be a little bit of truth to that. So, so Freak, here's the, here's the million dollar question. If all this is true, what Bob just said, and I'm just kind of peppering with some, some anecdotal stuff here. Does that give you, is it exciting for you as a fan of this stuff? Because there's obviously going to be so much more content coming. Or are you nervous about this just getting more watered down and, and maybe more of a fatigue if, if indeed that is, that is a real thing? Uh, I mean, if I'm being totally honest, I do get a little, you know, I even know myself, I was like any, you know, just a few years ago, you know, obviously part of it again is the, you know, we always got to throw in the COVID thing in there, but just generally whatever Superman movie, uh, superhero movie came out, Marvel or DC, it was a given I'm going to the theater probably the weekend of, or the weekend after that's getting released. Um, I'll give you an example, Shazam, you know, Shazam two. I really enjoyed the first Shazam movie. I saw it at the theater. I actually saw that actually, I don't know if you guys remember with Shazam, they did a, um, like they released it a few weeks early, like an early ticket thing, you know, did one of those. And so I was mm -hmm. even, I even did that because I was like, Oh my gosh, this movie's going to be so big. And I still have not seen Shazam two yet, you know? And, yeah, um, and so I, it's shocking to me that I, I'm sitting here even saying that. Like, I don't think that that would have came out of my mouth even a few years ago. And um, can we discuss that for a second? Sure. I want to throw something at you on that. I don't mean to interrupt. I, I think this no. is important. You guys are both uh, in, uh, big Zack Snyder fans, fair to say, in his films. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree with most of your opinions on those films. Um, there's one or two that we may have different some, but overall, I mean, I, I mean, I understand what a artistic bad mf or he can be um but is 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 your inability or your not inability but your lack of enthusiasm uh to go see shazam does it even on a subconscious level if you can think about it have anything to do with the fact that you know that this uh snyder verse is ultimately probably not going to really see much more in, in terms of the james gunn taking over dc films and you're like what's the point of going to see this they're probably not bringing in these characters back anyway so why do i care is there any of that with you uh not uh, maybe a little bit maybe a little bit probably no i mean i don't know if that's it or not um and i i, I you know 
Shazam specifically, and, and I think I sent you guys a, a tweet about this. And, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to sh throw shade on anybody at all, but um, part of it was that, you know, I didn't think the trailer was that great to begin with. It seemed pretty generic compared to the first movie too, as well. And just the whole dynamic, you know, for specifically talking about uh, Shazam, it just seemed, it didn't have the spark on magic that the first one had. Um, Billy Batson seemed too old. Like he, Billy Batson seemed that he almost should be the superhero. I mean, he, he's like, looks like he's 21, 22. I know he's supposed to be 17, but he looks like he's in his early twenties, you know? And, um, and Zachary <laughs> Levi, Zachary Levi, I, 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 I don't know. It just, it just, it, the dynamic, it just seemed, it just seemed different. It seems silly versus the first movie. It's almost kind of like the same thing going going on the Marvel side of stuff. Like I loved Ragnarok, you know, Thor Ragnarok, mm. but it, but it's almost like um, they made uh, what was it Love and Thunder that on steroids, you know, and and took all mm. the like they thought they thought Ragnarok what made it successful was just just the silly part, which which it was. I mean that was part of it, but that wasn't just it. It was still the story ultimately. So. Uh, focusing on the wrong things or whatever on there. So I think it goes back to our the very first thing you asked me when we started this conversation. Mm -hmm. I think it's a quality control thing more than Got anything it. else in that. Yeah. 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 yeah it's a, I think it, it, you used a word freak that I think is appropriate in this conversation, which is generic. I think yeah. what we're running into storytelling wise. And I think this may be at the top of my list in terms of if there is superhero fatigue, this is what's causing it. And it's the same story. Generally speaking, you can take every single one of these movies, especially lately, and kind of overlay them and you're going to get the same story beats. You're going to get the same kinds of humor in them. You're going to get the big boss battle at the end. I mean, this is something that's been going on for some time now, which is probably why people are getting tired of it. And going back to what you're saying about Zack Snyder, too. And the and, and his movie, the movies that he directed in the DCEU. Um, one of the things that appealed to me about those movies is they kind of broke that format a little bit. They kind of gave us something that was a little bit different than what we were seeing over at Marvel. It was giving us something, uh, I think DC at that point in time, and it certainly, it kind of failed just in terms of overall fan reaction, but what DC was doing early on with Zack Snyder, I thought was valuable insofar it was trying to do something a little bit different than what we were getting elsewhere and and that is a i think even though some of those beats fell flat it kind of was the right track and i'm what i'm waiting for now is someone to do something not not reject the canon or who these characters are or these universes that they exist in keep that but the stories that are being told around them uh, something new needs to happen. And that's one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of James Gunn and what he's doing, both at Marvel and, and subsequently, and more importantly, at least to me, at DC. Between yeah. uh, The Suicide Squad and Peacemaker, th that's the right thing. That's the right approach. I think that sort of vibe could... I, I don't know what you would call it, could erase a little bit of the superhero fatigue, could ease that. Because <clears throat> as he takes over this new uh, soft reboot or whatever you want to call it with the DCU, I think that's going to be a positive move towards something um, along the lines of what I'm talking about, which is a, a, a fresh approach to the storytelling, something that breaks that 
kind of generic format of these these projects. I, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep you here for a second, if you don't mind. I was just sure. thinking this on the fly, so forgive me if this seems not correct in y'all's head, but I just started thinking about Superman the movie, right? 1978 uh, proved that a live-action comic book film could work. Yeah. Batman 89 proved that a, 11 years later, proved that a gritty, grounded, realistic quasi-realistic um, interpretation of said characters can also work and be a big box office hit. And then I would fast forward to probably something like The Dark Knight, which proved that these films can be billion-dollar box office kings, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can go to Spider-Man No Way Home, another $2 billion juggernaut, and prove that nostalgia sells. But what I think gets missing in some of these conversations, I, I feel like those films are the ones that get brought up the most, at least in my, in my head, but if you look at Avengers Endgame, $2.8 billion, why did that film do as well as it did in my view? It's because you could have taken that movie and taken all the action out of it, which was phenomenal. And what you still have left is a character study of and, and a good drama. Yeah. And, 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 and like that, and I know James Gunn didn't do that film, although I don't, if he's had an association with that, forgive me. I don't, he didn't co-write or anything that, right? Because the, the brothers handled all that, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, insofar, so as, insofar as Guardians of the Galaxy was involved in those. Right, right, right. Infinity right. War and Endgame. Right. Yeah, but, he had an executive producer role, but that was about it. But with the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff, he's also sort of reinforcing, uh, or Endgame's reinforcing him, however we want to phrase it, that true character-driven stuff can work, which goes to his quote. Now, Here's my question to you, Bob, and then we'll pass it on to Freak, and I'm tying it into what I'm talking about right now. How important is this new Guardians of the Galaxy film, A, for Marvel, but also for the kind of response it gets for, for James Gunn as he's launching his DC? He's now, I mean, Superman's in pre-production. I mean, my guess is he's already got a cast. It's just not announcing yeah. it yet. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, mean, I bet he does. Yeah. I mean, if we're, if we're doing costume stuff, like he he's made that public, he's got a Superman. Yeah. But so, but how important, Bob, is Guardians of the Galaxy uh, the the re the reaction from from critics, from audience, and from box office for Marvel and for James Gunn to launch DC? And a, you know what I mean? Like, how pertinent is that to that transition for him? You think? That's a really good question. I I think it's uh, I don't think it's going to have that much bearing. I think James Gunn is pretty much locked in in his role at DC. And I think that's not going to change for some time now. I've been reading, I don't know if there's any vol validity to it whatsoever, but I've been reading some things here or there on social media about how Warner Brothers is upset, just going over to the DC side, is upset and kind of blaming James Gunn's rollout of the DCU for Shazam 2's poor reception. And I don't know if there's any validity to that. Uh, and there could be a case made. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about a an extraordinarily subjective world that revolves around these projects, uh, critics, audiences, and so on. So someone's going to make that argument. If Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 doesn't do very well, there are going to be people saying, oh, well, maybe James Gunn's not up for taking over the DCU. And some people are going to say, well, that's kind of irrelevant because the, you know, his involvement in Marvel's done anyway. So what difference does it make? So it's just going to depend on who you're or, or what circles you're uh, uh, operating in, what discussion forums you're reading. 
Um, but ultimately, I don't think it's going to affect him at all. I, I think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is going to do just fine. It's not going to break any gigantic box office records necessarily. It's it's going to do well enough that his status, I think, will be secure. Um, and, and I think it's important that, irrespective of how Volume 3 goes, that we give James Gunn a chance, that we give him an opportunity to stretch his wings with the DCU, see what this is all about. And uh, just from the bare perspective of that breath of fresh air may be what's needed to um, to give this genre a kick in the ass and, and get it going again. Absolutely. Um, I really believe that. I, I think that uh, James Gunn could be the future of all of this. Maybe not eclipsing Feige, but certainly... Um, taking a spot in the in the pantheon you know what i mean absolutely so, now yeah, superman yeah. but superman does need to work for him i, I don't think he was gonna get the boot from dc oh well, yeah that's Guardians. i mean that's but, gonna be but, crucial that has to work yeah. yeah that could be the difference in well everything <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. i think it's gonna yeah. be a big deal because i think focusing on i think uh zaslav and and warners are are right to 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 focus on their big uh properties superman batman wonder woman the the trinity because i think one of the things that is creating this fatigue is we're getting a lot of lesser known characters in the mix like you know like blue beetle coming out that's a gigantic question mark to me I, i mean i i i think that it's going to do okay but a lot of general audiences have no idea who Blue Beetle is, whether it's Marvel, whether it's DC. It's just such a, it's such a, mm, I don't know, a, a murky thing yeah. to predict at this point. Sure. So, yeah. So, for, so freak on that note, um, you know what comes to my mind is Deadpool, a character that had a cult following, and yeah. it was also a rated R film, and it comes out, and it's a. And, you know, I, I bet there's a lot of opposition in that in boardrooms and a lot of people that were had egg on their face. But to the you know, looking at it uh, objectively, I, I guess I'm not trying to phrase this. The risk worked on that, but it is still risky. If you're introducing these characters and you're in and, and box office is down and you don't have the kings carrying you, although there's obviously things happening with the kings are returning. But um, what do you think of that? Do you think that? If like Blue Beetle doesn't work, are we also going to run into a situation where we're going to rely too heavily on the same three to four properties? Um, or do you think we'll still keep taking chances where things like Black Panther and Deadpool and other things that were not mainstream became mainstream because of the movies themselves? What do you think? Um, that's a great, great question. I mean, w- one question um, I'm curious, do you do you guys think uh, Blue Beetle will do better than Shazam 2? <laughs> I would say probably, you know, and I, let me say this um, about Shazam too. I took my, my, my young daughters to see it and I had a blast, but you know, I got to admit so much of that was because I was in between a nine-year-old little girl and 11-year-old little girl. Sure. Who was, they just, <clears throat> you know, they loved every second of it. And so I just, you know, I, I don't know what my real opinion of that movie is. All I can tell you is I had a blast <laughs> with my kids at it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that yeah. I can say. Right. But, but I can say black Adam as much as I wanted to love that movie. That's very, very forgettable. It's not terrible. Yeah. I can't say that it's bad for me. It's like, I, I can't say anything about it. I don't remember a damn scene in it. <laughs> yeah, that, that movie. That was, that was falling victim to, we don't know what to do with these movies anymore. Right. That was, yeah. that was the, I think the headline with black Adam is, 
what is this? What are we trying to do? What are we trying to say with this? And it seems like this was a studio just throwing everything against the wall to see what sticks. For sure. It was, yeah. it was just it's, so, I mean, if you could have an oversaturation within the course of a single movie, it was like The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, just kind of th threw everything at this and it, it was so desperate to say, hey, look at us. Look, look what we're doing. I know. Instead of just letting the characters breathe and to uh, to play out kind of a, a reasonable narrative, it was just so over the top that um, it, it just felt so boardroomish to it me. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. a bunch of guys sitting around. You know what it needs? It needs this. Okay, let's put that in. Oh, you know what yeah. we need here? We need a, a bunch of guys exploding. Put that in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you guys think the uh with with this whole conversation how and you guys know all the buzz and we're gonna find out a lot tomorrow because I think it debuts at CinemaCon tomorrow but mm. how do you how do you guys think uh, I mean I know how we all personally feel about it with Keaton and everything being in there but I mean do you see the Flash being like a, well let's say a billion dollar movie do you think it's gonna be a billion dollar movie Bob I'm I'm gonna have you answer that if you don't mind mm. if you if you guys don't mind I'm gonna I'm gonna frame my last thing I had written here for our last kind of quick conversation because sure. it ties into that. So here's what's on the horizon. Okay. Before James Gunn's uh, DC really takes off flash aforementioned flash yeah, Aquaman two, And then obviously the Batman, which is not part of the DC. You thank God that that's going to have its own black label and do its thing. And is, Joker, that, it, and, is that coming out before Superman legacy? Uh, oh, you know what? No, it's, I don't, it may not actually be released before, but I just mean in terms of it's, you know, right, it's already it's, established. It's right, established. It's, it's right. going to happen. Right, got it. Got um, it. Timeline, and then obviously Joker too, which is another right. black label thing. So, so perfect segue for that last topic, and then to your to your question. So you were asking us if we think that Flash should be uh, be a billion dollar film, right? Yeah, yeah. Based okay. off of all the all because you guys are hearing all the I mean, the buzz is like huge on that movie, you know. Yeah. So, and I don't I don't think that's just all. You know, I know that happens with a lot of movies, but it feels legit from all the circles that that are saying it too, as well. The buzz on it, yeah, yeah. And I've talked to friends like our friend, mutual friend Mark Hughes, who he, you know, mm. has a lot of optimism for this film in terms of goodwill for everybody. But Bob, what do you think? Yeah. What, are your, what are your predictions on not just Flash, but even like, um, well, let's say Aquaman two more more specifically because it's still kind of tied into all this. What do you what do you how do you see this unfolding? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's undoubtedly going to be a gigantic movie, The Flash, mm -hmm. for no other reason but Michael Keaton uh, being in it. And the fact that uh, apparently, at least according to some people who have seen it already, James Gunn in particular, who I, I think is relatively unvarnished. He doesn't seem like a guy who's going to cheerlead a, a, a movie the way he has that is just, it is, that's subpar. No one wants to, the way Hollywood works is no one wants to be the person who who's wrong about something. You know, sure. uh, it's, everything is done by committee as well as this. Do we like this? Yes, we like this. Oh yeah, so we do like this. Mm. Um, so in that regard, I think it's going to be a gigantic movie. I think it's going to be a little bit divisive in terms of fan reception. I think there are going to be some people who just absolutely despise it. And there are, you know, a, a couple of little red flags along those lines that I'm seeing. The question mark is Ezra Miller himself. Another question mark, I think, and this is something that <laughs> that I I sometimes feel all alone about. But 
Um, I, I think there's going to be some criticism of the the Batman costume on Michael Keaton. Uh, that may turn some fans away. I don't know. But I think it's overall going to be one of those gigantic events that everyone's going to be talking about. There's going to be major social media conversations about this beyond just the fandom. I think you're going to see a lot of general audiences talking about this movie. On the other hand, I think Aquaman is going to be a disaster. Aquaman 2. I mean, talk about a fall. I think isn't Aquaman, the first Aquaman movie, the highest grossing DC movie that we've seen recently, at least in the, yeah, at least in the DCEU. In fact, it may even be higher grossing than the Dark Knight, which was just slightly higher grossing than the Dark Knight Rises. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think Aquaman and Joker and Dark Knight are the kind of in Dark Knight Rises, yeah. the, the the four or five billion dollar films that I can think of off the top of my head. But we'll see. It's got this. It has the same director, but I don't. You know, there. Who knows? Who knows how that's going to play out? I, Aquaman. To me, that movie was just designed for the theater. It was so beautiful. I could have just watched it without dialogue. Yeah, yeah I love that, the first movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't just, know. I've, heard, I've heard some rumors about the current movie that indicate that it's not good. And and I, I think Warner Brothers Discovery is a little bit uh, soft on it right now. I yeah. think they're, they're yeah. not convinced that it, it's going to do what it needs to do. And so it, it's probably the best move is to probably move on after that, which is what they're going to be doing. Yeah, that's and, and freak. That was going to kind of be my last question here to just tie into the last topic is, um, what are your predictions? Because I think that no, I, and I, and to answer your, your question directly for me, I think that the flash is going to do really well. Uh, is it going to be a billion dollar film? I don't know. Maybe. Um, what I'd like to see is it just have a really good, have good legs and have, have really good reviews. Yeah. And as far as online fandom, I, I I've kind of given up on really giving a shit right. too much about that. Right. But I certainly do care about how it's perceived critically because that you know twenty five years from now, that's that's just that. Well, I I don't know. I was about to say that's really what matters, but I'm like, man, I don't know. Maybe Rotten Tomatoes has changed that a little bit. Where you know Yelp matters more to restaurants now than the New York Times review of a new restaurant opening. So you know we're in a, we're in this upside down real weird world, but um. In terms of in terms of the Flash, it what's going to be fascinating is this, and, and really we can talk about this with any of these films is they have their plans. I don't think James Gunn is sitting around going, okay, before we make this decision, let's see how the Flash does at the box office. I really don't. Could be wrong, but I don't think that's the case. I think their plan is their plan, and whatever happens with this, so be it. Right, and maybe with the Flash, maybe if it's just so damn good and so popular that they can bring Keaton back and do something that's black label or whatever, if they want to. Right. The, the good thing about the black label or the multi multiverse, whatever, it, it is opening up a justification for a lot of different avenues we can go down. Cause we're about to have an essence, what Affleck Keaton P Pattison, and then James Gunn's Batman. That's probably already written. That's four or five live action Batman's kind of existing simultaneously. And that crazy to say that out loud. I mean, yeah. You know what I mean? But what do you but what do you just just generally speaking, what do you do you think that this is it? That once these films are over, the the Snyder era is is gone? Or <laughs> you know, when I when I say what I mean by that is, Never. is, is, is the well well okay, let me rephrase that. Not gone. I mean, I mean, are are any of these actors from his universe going to reprise their role in the once once James Gunn officially launches DC. 
I think the biggest wild card, especially to Flash and kind of she's not officially, I guess, a Snyder person, but it's still in that obviously that world technically, I guess, is uh, and you and I have talked about this. Both of us have talked about this is uh, the Sasha Kali uh, question. Ooh, Supergirl. Yeah, right. Because, That's great. That's a great one. That's great. Um, you know, obviously, Gunn's already said he's doing a Supergirl movie. Um, you know, a few years out, this probably won't be till 28, 29, something like that. But, um, you know, she's at the age where she could play Supergirl for the next 10 years at least. And yeah. uh, and if the buzz with her, just from, you know, again, this is all judging off these great trailers we've seen so far and from the buzz we're hearing about the movie. But I just have a feeling she's just going to she's going to be the breakout star from that movie. And it, it's going to be. You know, guns very, you know, he knows what, what the silly stuff is online, just like we do too as well. But if there's like this groundswell uh, online, just people just really, really connecting with her and having an emotional connection with her, which I think could happen from especially the way that they're doing this whole movie with her. It sounds like it's going to be a pretty uh, emotional thing, even how they, you know, get her, break her out of the prison or whatever, whatever they end up doing. I think that's going to be, again, the, the, the wild card with that too as well as her, you know. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so she's my, my God. Just watching those trailers, yeah, you can see it coming down Main Street that she is going to be. I I so agree with you, freak. That she is going to be. She pops. I mean, like, you just show, you just look at a still of her, and she just pops off there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean that one yeah. shot where she's screaming at Zod. What you know? What are you doing? Oh my God! That's yeah. one yeah. of the the best single performance moments, and we've seen it in just a trailer. Yeah. And, and so I think James Gunn would be nuts to recast that role. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Think, yeah. You know, maybe he could tweak the costume or something and just make her slightly different enough to fit into the DCU. But I think coming out of this, uh, I'm perfectly willing to go out on a limb and say that she is going to be the big star coming out of this, uh, this next movie, The Flash. Yeah. Because Batman 2, Joker 2, Aquaman 2, Flash, Superman... These are all the next DC films upcoming with Marvel, the Marvels, Guardians. Uh, we have the Spider-Verse um, uh, animated film. And then obviously there's going to be another Tom Holland Spider-Man movie as well. I mean, it, this isn't slowing down, right? I, yeah. I, I don't, But I don't want it to. So I want to get back to a little bit better quality over quantity where we... And, and look, not... And again, we talk about impossible barometers. I don't think everything has to hit a billion dollars. But if it can just hit on the cylinders, right? Good reviews, good audience, goodwill, good legs. Legs are important, right? Yeah. You know, what like Batman Begins is a good example. That's not that big of a box office film when you compare it to its sequels and everything else, but it had legs, right? Yeah. Yeah. It came out mm -hmm. had, in goodwill and people kept going to see it. And so that's what it's like the Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad was the same way. James Gunn's The Suicide Squad yeah. had legs. It didn't do gigantic box office, but I think there was so much potential built up in that that you know, obviously he's going to carry some of those characters over to the DCU. Yeah. I mean, look, but, uh, the, the, the Batman wasn't a billion dollar film. I don't think it needed yeah. to be, especially a three hour detective noir film. But I will say this, all eyes are on the sequel. Oh, yeah. You, you know, know, one thing I wanted to throw in here just to put it out in the universe. I think one thing that could help the genre overall, and this is I'm going to narrow it down to the DCU. I think one thing that James Gunn could borrow from that I think would be really effective as far as keeping audience attention is instead of creating one long narrative arc like the Marvel Universe, I think of James Gunn look to what Star Wars and Star Trek are doing uh, in terms of many narratives. 
that arc over, you know, maybe a couple of movies and a couple of TV series um, that take place, you know, in different time periods where, you know, with Star Wars, for example, we're seeing this post Return of the Jedi era. We're also seeing what's going to happen after the uh, sequel trilogy. We're going to go back to the High Republic. Uh, in Star Trek, we're looking, you know, we just finished a sort of a next generation completion. We're also looking at what happens prior to Kirk taking over the Enterprise with Strange New Worlds. And I think if uh, DC did a similar thing, I think that would be much more digestible uh, for general audiences, which are all important, going back to what I was originally saying. If you can keep the attention span of general audiences, that is the ball game entirely. That's right. And, and uh, there's fandom can only take a, a project so far or a genre right. so far. Um, then it starts to get diminishing returns and, and fall apart over time. But if you've got general audiences and you can hold those general audiences, uh, giving them digestible, you know, these sort of mini arcs, I think will be much more effective than the larger, oh my God, you mean I have to remember something that happened 12 years ago to apply to a movie that's going to happen five years from now? That's a lot to, to right, ask right, general right. audiences. You know that's what I right. mean? So, it's just lots, throwing, it's yeah, just throwing that out there. No, that's great. Well, look, we're we're approaching an hour, so I'd say let's uh let's wrap this up and I'll get out of here. But freak, I was going to give you the floor to hey, I want you guys to plug, if you don't mind, please. But also, just any final thoughts on all this, just to kind of put a bow on it. Well, again, I'll go back to the very beginning of our conversation. It really just comes down to quality and, you know, the, the movie. I think the the fatigue thing, it's it's a nice narrative for us to talk about and I'm sure and you know, there's there's it's real it's a real thing for sure. But uh, you know, if if again this flash movie is going to be almost like the canary in the coal mine i guess you know if it's as good as everybody says it is and it does you know close to a million or billion excuse me and does well and has legs as you say i think this will that'll kind of be the answer to all this um there's so much good stuff coming out you know you mentioned joker too i mean I, i'm so freaking excited for that movie you guys know i'm a joker fanatic and i think that's going to be with the addition of lady gaga and it is harley quinn i mean i wow just wow um so yeah i think i you know but it's not it's not like it's going away in a couple years you know we're, 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 you and i you me and bob will be having this conversation <laughs> probably 10 For years sure. from now mm. except it'll be except we'll be virtually be in the same room together or something like that'll be uh, going hopefully that yeah yeah hopefully hopefully this show has a lot more money behind it there you go exactly <laughs> Right. All right. Well, where can we uh, where can we find you, buddy? And uh, any 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 plugs you want to throw out there? Yeah. Well, you know, I pretty much live online anymore. I'm um, either over at TikTok or over at Twitch, and uh, you know, I'm doing a ton of live streaming. Um, we're excited next month. I'm playing a really cool music festival in uh, Illinois. It's called Summer Camp Music Festival. Willie Nelson, Les Claypool, Wolfpack. Wow. Um, it's gonna wow. yeah, it's gonna be really good. And I'm doing two shows. I'm doing one with my whole band, Freak Bass and the Bump Assembly, and then. Uh, everything I kind of do on TikTok and Twitch, which is kind of kind of like a solo groove thing. I'm going to be doing a, at the VIP tent. So I'm doing playing twice that day with both incarnations of myself. So, um, so yeah, a lot of just a lot of on mostly online. I just live online more than anything else anymore. Yeah. That's so great. Where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, yeah, I'm over at uh, twitter.com at freakbase. That's F R E E K two E's B A S S. Yeah, love it. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. All right, Mr. Bob. All right, so just to uh wrap up the conversation, I think uh, 
storytelling is everything in mm-hmm. any genre. If you can tell a great story, doesn't matter. I think superheroes are going to be around forever and ever and ever. This is what we do with them, what uh, writers, directors do with these things. Uh, and I, I think it's so important for studios to allow directors to stretch their legs and inject a little auteur style into uh, some of these films to put their own individual stamp on these things. Sort of what, like what Taika did with uh, Ragnarok. I think that it was a great example you brought up earlier, Freak. Uh, little departures like that, I think, will continue to breathe new life into these stories and into these characters. And that's absolutely crucial. So, uh, yeah, here, I think here. it's all about that. Um, as far as uh, what I do, uh, my politics podcast is bobseskashow.com right there. And uh, uh, also you can find it everywhere you get your podcast. That's my Patreon. BobSuskaShow.com is my Patreon page. And also uh, Trek Politics with me and Mary Trump coming up in June Ooh. to coincide with the rollout of Strange New World Season 2. So, so, uh, so, so I do need to get Paramount Plus pretty much, right? It comes down to <laughs> yeah, it, right? yeah. Oh, my God. Strange, Strange New Worlds and Picard Season 3 is some of the best Star Trek I've ever seen. It's All right. All right. absolutely nice. a must-watch thing, even if you don't really love Star Trek. It's that good. I do. I do. And I kept putting, I was, I have so many freaking streaming services, but it's like, I was, I was trying to, I was like, I I don't think I can avoid it any longer. Yeah. Yeah, But the fact that we talk about this on podcast makes it a write-off. So there's that. There you go. That out there. All right. I'm I'm so I love it. Well, thank you guys so much for a great conversation as always. Uh, I appreciate it. And thanks for listening, everybody. Brian Chatlin and Courtney Cheek had a really good show. They recorded on, I believe, Friday, wrapping up The Mandalorian and the last episode of the entire season three. They should have that edited up as a podcast soon, so be looking for that. Uh, I'm Rick Shu. Once again, thank you, Bob Seska and Freak Base for this conversation. Superhero Fatigue. Follow us on all social media platforms and wherever you get great podcasts. We'll see you next time. Thank you. I